The National Academy of Sciences published a report on genetic screening guidelines in 1975. That is considered a classic set of recommendations. Decades later, as genetics are being incorporated into all areas of medicine, are these guidelines still pertinent, and what updates should be made? You are listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and joining us to discuss genetic screening guidelines is Dr. Artemis Simopoulos, founder and president of the Center for Genetics, Nutrition, and Health, a nonprofit educational organization in Washington, D.C. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Simopoulos. It's a pleasure. 1975, that's over three... a long time, isn't it? Yes, three decades ago, I wouldn't have thought that genetics would have been thought of as needing a set of recommendations. Can you tell us how these came about and what some of the principles of that classic work are? Yes. The committee was established by the National Research Council of the National Academy of Sciences at the request of the American Society of Human Genetics. Back in the early 70s, there was a great deal of interest in genetics because the research clearly showed that this is an area where more genetic tests are going to be developed Mm -hmm. and will be of use to the whole population. And at that time, the tests were carried out in in newborn babies. Mm -hmm. And it was felt necessary that because this is an area where that's going to expand, It is important that a committee is established to evaluate very carefully, number one, the need and the standardization of tests for genetic screening. And secondly, what are some of the issues, both in terms of the legal, ethical, and scientific aspects of genetic screening that need to be carefully looked at? Because until then, no one had looked at the field from all these standpoints. Very interesting. And from what I've read, this was spurred by uh, phenylketonuria testing in infants? Yes. So the very first genetic test that was carried out in newborns was the test for the diagnosis of phenylketonuria, or PKU, as people refer to it, because it's due to a deficiency of an enzyme due to a genetic defect. And it was also known at that time that a proper diet will definitely prevent the development of the mental retardation. Mm -hmm. PKU was the most common cause of mental retardation in children. It was therefore very important to review and evaluate how the program was developed and how in the future uh, additional programs could be developed that would not have some of the drawbacks of the PKU program. And some of the drawbacks were that they still had not really defined carefully what sort of diet needs to be developed, how soon after birth needs to be started, who was going to follow the metabolic changes. And then many states began to develop laws making it mandatory. And the laws that were developed, uh, they used as a model, infectious disease model, which, of course, the committee felt, and I agree with them, that it's not an appropriate law because um, genetic diseases are not contagious, where infectious diseases, and at that time people worried very much about syphilis and gonorrhea, that these are very different. And when it comes to genetics, nothing should be mandatory, but it should be left up to the individual and the family 
to agree for the test to be carried out and that the test also should be standardized, should be accurate, should be reproducible. That infectious disease model was not appropriate. A new model, a new way of looking at this type of test was necessary. And it is remarkable, as I read it, how forward-thinking you were in addressing some of these things like legal issues, ethical issues. Yes. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because at that time I was working at the Division of Medical Sciences at the National Academy of Sciences. So when we received the letter from the American Society of Human Genetics, we thought it was a very important issue of national importance and eventually international, and that the National Academy of Sciences was the appropriate place to pull together experts from this country and Canada to evaluate not only the scientific and the managerial aspects, but the legal, the ethical the social and the economic aspects. Because when we are testing people for genetic diseases, we ought to bear in mind that all of us have some kind of a genetic defect that in a special environment will manifest itself so that it becomes ethical to give the opportunity to people to agree or disagree if they wish to be tested. Because you don't want to have anything that will interfere with their privacy or that the presence of a defective gene will increase their health insurance premiums. And at that time, we were very much aware of that, and we emphasized the need for the development by the federal government of protection of individuals so that nothing will work against them. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and joining me to discuss genetic screening guidelines is Dr. Artemis Simopoulos, founder and president of the Center for Genetics, Nutrition, and Health in Washington, D.C. So, Dr. Simopoulos, you did, 30 years ago, try to take into account this in a very holistic way, looking at whether someone should be forced to do this, uh, the accuracy of the test, the reproducibility, what to do with the results, several social and legal and educational ramifications. How do you think these guidelines have been accepted and followed, and where do we need to put more emphasis as we go forward? Yes. First of all, I should tell you that we even carried out our own research to define how physicians felt about genetic screening. Because if you're going to develop a genetic screening program, you want to have acceptance by the public, by the physicians and other health personnel. And we found out that the more physicians knew about genetics, the more interested were in carrying out genetic screening. Therefore, the education of physicians about genetics and the education of the public about genetics were two of the major recommendations that we made because it is important to have knowledge because knowledge influences attitudes towards genetic screening. So the report was received uh, very well and got excellent reviews. In fact, um, I was just looking to find comments about the report, and this particular one actually was published in the official journal of the National Federation of Catholic Physicians Guilds. And it says that the final section of the report is a synopsis of all its major points and is available as a separate pamphlet useful in its own right. So we made every effort to make the report user-friendly, and we did develop a pamphlet. And um, so they're going to say genetic screening is an achievement of great value to anyone interested in the subject 
from whatever perspective, medical practice, public health policy, legal or ethical or sociological implications of healthcare systems and research. It can simultaneously serve a practicing physician who desires deeper insight into the genetic aspects of health problems. So it was very well accepted, but it was not really acted upon. And by that I mean, you know, the federal government did not move into setting up some kind of an agency that would then be working with the various regions of the country rather than individual states because the frequency of genes in the population varies in the United States. Mm-hmm. So we had recommended the establishment of regional centers and um, a federal agency that will make sure that the tests are properly standardized, that there is quality control, that they are reproducible. We also recommended that in high schools, students are taught a little a bit more about cell biology and genetics. We also recommended programs in medical schools and schools of public health in order for all of us to be ready for it Mm -hmm. because research base was very active in the 70s and and we knew that a lot of data are going to be coming out that need to be interpreted. What happened is the various uh, administrations and secretaries of health set up additional committees on committees none of which really evaluated in depth, as did the study we carried out at the National Academy of Sciences. So we really haven't seen the government... uh, We're not proactive. Mm -hmm. And now, as I'm aware, and many practicing doctors are, uh, the uh, capitalism is kind of leading the way instead of science, it seems. There are a lot of companies that are offering genetic uh, screening for more common complex illnesses, not the simple single gene mutation illnesses like PKU. How do you feel about that? Yes. Well, let me tell you. The PKU is a, is a very good example. Of course, it is a single gene effect. And we looked at the whole issue of common diseases like heart disease and cancer and diabetes, uh, which are due to multiple genes, okay? And the principles that we studied and recommended are the same whether you're dealing with a single gene defect or multiple genes in terms of the chronic diseases. Mm-hmm. Still, people have to be knowledgeable. The physicians ought to have more expertise. There should be quality control. The federal government should have an active role in quality control. And you have to make sure that the rights of the individuals are not inappropriately harmed and emphasize that genetic variation occurs in all of us And under certain circumstances, there is the interaction of the genes with the environment that cause disease. So these same principles are certainly... The principles are the same. They're the same. Exactly the same. What do you feel in terms of the legislation that George Bush signed uh, last year, the Genetic Information and Non-Discrimination Act? Right, the GINA. That was um, signed last May. I think it was way overdue, and I think it's a very good uh, beginning. And it will be interesting to see how they're going to begin to implement that, because that will take quite a bit of time, you know, interpreting the various aspects of, uh, of the act. But this, you know, could have been done 20 years ago. That's I hear a little bit of frustration in your voice that uh, we still have some of the same challenges. Uh... Yes, no question about that. Because what is very important is you don't really want to harm anyone. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to carry out uh, genetic screening, and let's say you're going to discover a group of genes that are associated or increase the risk of, let's say, heart disease, 
you want to be sure that the information is precisely interpreted and given to the individual and um, that most importantly it is uh, the privacy of that individual is uh, safeguarded and that you have genetic counselors who are going to further explain the meaning of the genetic findings because genetic counseling is going to be very important in sustaining these individuals. Mm -hmm. And then the physician usually works with the genetic counselor in both explaining the risk and then begin to consider what sort of treatment you're going to recommend. And I imagine there with uh, treatment, there's the, the great risk economically of launching into screening or treatments that really have no scientific basis. But in this medical legal climate, you find out you have the genetic predispositions. Well, let's do the test. Let's do the treatment. That's dangerous. Well, it's very important to have then centers or clinics uh, in medical schools or other places where the tests are accurate the information is properly explained, genetic counseling takes place, and appropriate management is beginning to be carried out by the physician. This idea of direct-to-consumer genetic testing is not appropriate. As you look to the future, what do you see? Oh, I'm very optimistic, and I'll tell you why I'm, I'm very optimistic, because I think what happened is certain industry groups uh, moved very fast, you know, two, three, four years ago. And the fact that they moved in a direction which is not, I would say, the most ethical approach to it began to raise questions. And I think that's why GINA was signed into law by the president uh, last May, because all these other things were coming up. Mostly, I think it's very important to consider the fact the test should be ordered by the physician or a healthcare person, if not a physician. And the test should be properly carried out. The test should be properly interpreted. And whatever form of treatment or management should be carried out. Then I think it's important to maintain privacy. The test results should be given to the individual that was tested. This is not for other people to have uh, knowledge. Maintaining privacy and the ethical approach to genetic screening are very important, and this cannot be carried out by marketeers. I would like to thank my guest, Dr. Artemis Simopoulos, who has been discussing with us genetic screening guidelines. It's fascinating to me that the principles that were outlined in her committee's report of 1975 are still very pertinent and very important. Thank you for listening to the Clinician's Roundtable. This is ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals.